We are hosting another Makers of Minnesota dinner at the Lexington in St. Paul. Not only will you be front and center with some of the best Minnesota makers in the Twin Cities, but you will be treated to a three course dinner compliments of Chef Nick from the Lexington, who will be using the featured makers ingredients in all the courses he's making for this special event. Our October dinner is Tuesday, October 25th, and our featured makers are so fun, including Milk and Honey Ciders, who's making beautiful ciders at their orchard in St. Joseph, Three Bear Oats, who specialize in grain bowls full of delicious goodness. Also on deck is Taking Stock Foods. They've got these organic bone broths that taste amazing and are so good for you, as well as Olive Oil on Tap, who has formulations of specialty oils and vinegars that are out of this world. And speaking of out of this world is Mrs. Kelly's Tea. Mindy Kelly is truly a savant at blending the most beautiful, flavorful, aromatic teas, and she's been doing it for years in Northeast Minneapolis. I can't wait for you to meet her. I'm so excited to see how Chef Nick will use all these ingredients in this multi-course menu. We'll have a limited number of tickets for this special dinner, and when they're gone, they're gone. So go to thelexmn.com and sign up via Eventbrite for the Makers of Minnesota dinner. Get your tickets now at thelexmn.com and watch for details on our November 29th dinner, where Chef Nick will be cooking the book the True North Cabin Cookbook, just in time for the holidays. So go to thelexmn.com to get tickets and sign up for my free newsletter so you're always in the know about any events I'm excited about or hosting at stephaniesdish.com. and welcome to Dishing with Stephanie's Dish, the podcast where we talk to people that are in the cookbook space, writing cookbooks or thinking about writing cookbooks or generally obsessed with food and cookbooks. And today our special guest is Gavin Kaysen and he has a new cookbook coming out. Believe it or not, his first cookbook called At Home and it will be coming out shortly. And we are very excited to have you because Gavin, I think people would be surprised to know that this is your first cookbook because it seems like you've done so much in the culinary world that cookbook would already been crossed off your list. Yeah, I mean, you know, we had an opportunity to write a book probably like six years ago and it just didn't feel like the right time and maybe not even the right book or perhaps I wasn't ready to sort of do the book at the right time either. And so this this all made sense and it just sort of happened. And then as it happened, it felt better and better and better. And so it's it's been a wonderful experience. One thing that I think people maybe know about you in the Midwest, but not nationally per se. And I say this with love, like you're just a really normal guy. Yeah. You grew up here. You feel like one of us. And I don't mean that in the creepy sense of, did you ever see that movie where they were like, one of us? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I mean it in the good sense. And when I say that this cookbook really feels personal to you, to your experience of cooking at home. And it's not a chefy book, as it were. It feels like a cookbook that a dad could have wrote or someone that's just really interested in food. And it feels very personal to your family and your story. Yeah. Was that because of coronavirus that that maybe morphed? Because you would have thought like you would have had this very chefy book. And it's not that at all. It's lovely. Yeah, I mean, the chef book, the chefy book will come. I mean, I, honestly, like, if you think of it this way, when I opened Spoon and Stable, Spoon and Stable had the same kind of reaction. People expect Spoon and Stable to be a super high lux fine dining, you know, um, crazy techniques and all of those things. And 
there's a reason that I didn't do that restaurant here. And I was really intentional about that. And that intention was that I wanted to be able to relate to people. And I wanted people to understand me for who I am as a person and not who they think I am because they've never met me. Demi came later and Demi was that restaurant. It is that restaurant that is high in technique and it's hard to get into and it's 20 seats and it is more expensive and it's all of those things. So the at, the at home book, you know, it really started when we were doing the GK at home video tutorials, which was during COVID. And that was a way for us to kind of just connect to our guests and connect to the community. And what's crazy is the first, the first GK at home video series we did was Paella. And I think we had like 150 people on that, on that video call. And then the second one, we had a thousand people on the video call. And the third one, we had 1500 people on the. And so we saw this huge demand, people just wanting to grow together. And, and when, it, when, it, when we sort of got done doing those, not that we are done, but when we stopped doing them, we had over 80 recipes. And it was like, well, now what are we gonna do with all of this content that we know the recipes work because we've tried it out with thousands of people. And that's where publishing the cookbook came to be. Was doing the cooking classes fun in the environment that you did it in? Because you recorded them at home. It felt really accessible. They were so much fun. I love, I mean, I love cooking, obviously. I wouldn't do this if I didn't love it. But I really, you know, it's funny because people ask me all the time, oh, you probably don't cook at home, right? Because you cook all week. And it's like, no, I spend hours on Sunday cooking at home. I mean, that's sort of, you know, I mean, people spend a lot of money going to shrinks. Like I spend a lot of money cooking food. And that's, that's, that's my, that's my time for myself and to think through my week coming up or my reflections of the week prior. And I love it. And I love, you know, being able to cook for my family and everybody asks me all the time, what do you cook at home? This book tells you what I cook at home. Yeah. And it's pot roast and it's yeah. kale salads and it's things that are really, I felt like delicious and that I wanted to make. And I, I mean, no knock on chef books because there's a place for them and to like really learn about some of the techniques and, you know, the ad hoc at home, other books like that are great, but they are challenging to cook from. They're more like, for me, like a guide or an aspirational tome, whereas this really felt like, yeah, I want to make this pot roast. I want to make this salad or these braises and talk a lot about ingredients that felt really real. Like I didn't feel like in the recipes that I saw that there was anything that I either wouldn't have in my kitchen or couldn't get at Lunds and Byerly's. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the purpose. I mean, I don't want people to buy this book and then be intimidated by it. I want people to buy this book and I want to be able to teach them confidence through their own cooking. And I think that that's also really important, you know, is that, you know, people become, people are really good. There are people that are really good cooks at home. And they're really savvy and they pride themselves off of making recipes out of those chef-driven cookbooks. And that's great. And I love that. But the, the truth of the matter is, is that even if you're a really, really great chef, you had to learn how to braise one day really well. And at some point that turns into a really good pot roast or really good chicken thighs. Or when you're a breakfast cook and you're making brunch, it's one thing to make pancakes or French toast for 300 people on a Sunday brunch. And it's a different thing to make it for your family, but you still have to start somewhere. That's where I wanted these recipes to be relatable for, for people. I wanted them to open the book and be like, I can do this and I'm going to do this. And, and, and that's exciting. And they'll learn little techniques. They'll learn, they will learn little tricks. Like for example, whenever I buy feta cheese, I always buy the feta cheese in the brine. Right. And the reason for that is because I save the brine of the feta cheese. And then I, in that brine, I add a little bit of honey. I add some lemon, I add some bay leaf, some peppercorns, 
and some lemons. And then I brine my chicken with that. And now I have a feta brine chicken. You know, but so often you buy the packaged stuff that's vacuum sealed or you throw the brine away or whatever. And I just want to teach people sort of, you have a lot of what you need in your fridge. You just got to know what you're looking at. That's funny because a lot of people brine with pickle juice right. from, you know, pickles and obviously kind of the same kind of theory of using the enzymes to break down the chicken a little bit. Yep. We both have recipes for Swedish pancakes. I have one in my book. You have one in your book. Who yeah. made Swedish pancakes for you or why did you incorporate that? My wife is Swedish. Okay. She was born, yeah, she was born and raised in Lynn shopping. So we met in Switzerland. Um, so it's her family's recipe. So yeah, we met in Switzerland and and her whole family still lives in Stockholm and, and all throughout Sweden. So we're in Sweden every year for a couple of weeks uh, with her family. We usually go in the summer and just spend some time over there. So I bet your recipe is pretty authentic. I, I think mine is. It was from my grandma, who's also yeah, Swedish, cool. but you know, you never know. Yeah. Um, one of the questions people ask you when you have a cookbook is like, what's your favorite recipe? And I always have a terrible answer to that question. Do you have a good answer as it pertains to your cookbook? Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, I, I'd say the thing that I probably cook the most at home because my kids eat it the most is the paella, you know? So we have a paella recipe in the book and it's really, it's beautiful and it's delicious. I love how easy it is to cook it and then clean. The cleanup is super simple. Yeah. But importantly, I have a 10 year old and a 13 year old and I need them to consume dinner. And not always will they eat everything that I cook, despite, well, my 13-year-old will, my 10-year-old will not. But they'll all eat paella, so I love cooking that. The braised chicken thighs I love, um, the endive salad in the recipe I love. And then there's this recipe for breakfast called cottage cakes, which I really like. So basically, you replace the dairy with cottage cheese, right? And, and you add a little bit of milk, but for the most part, it's, and my wife and I were in, I think we were in Vermont at a, at a bread and back uh, B&B I don't remember, but this woman had these beautiful cottage cakes and I asked her for the recipe and she gave it to me. I've changed it, but it was awesome. Such a great experience. I, I have a recipe in my book for cottage cheese with sour cream, with noodles and chives and that's it. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> we kind of call it like the poor man stroganoff and people yeah. are so freaked out that cottage cheese is like the main ingredient. I'm like, you guys, it's just cheese. Like people have yeah. real feelings about cottage cheese. It's, I didn't realize how polarizing it was. Very. I mean, we've had a dish on the menu at Spoon every once in a while. It's like roasted beets with cottage cheese. And some people are like, no way, I can't eat it. I'm like, why? I don't understand. I think it's a texture thing. One of the um, probably biggest moments of my life as a food person was being on a beach in the Cayman Islands and watching Chef Jose Andrews um, make paella in a giant paella pan. There were about a hundred people just sort of standing and milling about doing this with them. And he just, it was so surprising how he could make such a huge vat of it and yeah. still like get that crispy texturized rice on the bottom of it. What's your secret to getting that crispy bottom at home? Yeah, so at home I'll, I'll cover it a little bit with some foil to kind of get the steam going to cook the rice a little bit faster. And then it's just taking taking that off and then just rotating the pan. You got to play with the heat a little bit, but you got to rotate the pan. And I, what I always tell people when they're cooking the paella is that you need to use your nose. Like once you start to smell that the rice is being burnt, you're on the right track. It's the opposite of what you normally think when you're cooking something. Right. Like once you smell burn, you're like, oh my God, I've made a mistake. I have to throw it away. Once you smell that caramelization and that burnt, move the pan a little bit, keep going, keep going and just test it out. Uh, and then just get that nice uniform base. I, it's great advice because I think people do smell something burning and your natural reaction is, 
to pull it off. In regards to just your restaurants a second, you've had the wild success of the Four Seasons opening with Mara and the downtown Minneapolis has taken a lot of criticism, some rightly so, about just how safe it is to come back to downtown. Your restaurants are really destination restaurants with Demi and Spoon and Stable. As much as Spoon is kind of a neighborhood North Loop restaurant too, it's sort of both. Sure. Have have people been able to get back into the restaurants and are you still feeling confident that the resurgence is happening with Minneapolis? We we will have a record year this year in our restaurants. So So great I, to hear. Yeah, I don't I don't understand um, I understand where it comes from and why people report about it and talk about it. Uh, I just don't understand why they don't give any recognition to the other side of the conversation. And the other side of the conversation to me is that we're going to have a record-breaking year of, of, a, of a restaurant. So uh, we certainly have not seen any effective change in that regard. Uh, we see people are excited to be down here and there's a lot of foot traffic and there's a lot of people <clears throat> that are in our space. So um, we're excited. Yeah, I think it's really been, you know, every major city in America has had some impact from the coronavirus pandemic, whether it's been the emptying out of office buildings, increasing crime, you know, it's just been a really traumatic time for lots of people. And the cities reflect that it's no different than, you know, you're seeing record amounts of suicide. And even in the suburban areas, it's just, it's been a really traumatic time for the country. So I'm glad that um, you guys have recovered so well. A lot of the the Minneapolis restaurants that I've talked to, it is, it is recovering. And if you've tried to get a reservation on a Tuesday or Wednesday night, most places, it's it's not easy. You'd think it would be, but it's not. Yeah, no, and I think that that I think that ultimately people are ready to enjoy themselves again yeah. and get out, have an experience, and 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 feel what that feels like. Um, and everybody needs to take it at their own pace, you know. And so that's it's all good. Take your time, and when you're ready, we'll we'll be here. Something that you guys have always been good about too is prioritizing mental health and wellness mm-hmm. of your employees. I think in some respects, the slowing down a little bit of that, you know, seven day a week breakfast, lunch and dinner machine for hospitality has allowed people to kind of prioritize those key times and maximize them so that their workers can have two days off in a row, can have more mental health, or maybe you don't open for lunch, but you do a solid four to 10 every night. I just, I feel like we're in a good space in that regard for the hospitality employees that I'm friends yeah, with I mean, and that I- yeah, Spoon and Stable has always been a four-day work week. So it's, I mean, we've been doing that for eight years. So we never really changed, you know, we didn't change anything in that in that regard. Um, we always kind of, we always focused on it. We always put a lot of emphasis into it. Um, and I think it's important, you know, it's important to be able to take a step back and understand what what are those priorities and what makes you want to take care of people. I mean, so often, you know, we cook you know, Saturday night, I think between the three restaurants and the catering company, I think we cooked for a thousand people, which is amazing. But I'll tell you, out of the thousand people that we're cooking for, you know, how many of them do we actually know? And and we're pouring our heart and soul into what they're about to eat. And yet your colleague to the left and the right of you, you haven't extended a warm welcome or hello to. And so really it's about, you know, if you really are in the hospitality profession, um, it's not only about giving hospitality to the guests and being gracious to them, but really with each other and and the team that you're with on a daily basis, because that's truly, you know, the family part of it, you know, and I think that that word family has taken a pretty, a pretty strong beating from a lot of people because 
they look into it too long, too, too differently, but it's like, we use the word family because it's like, we are literally together all the time. I mean, I'm with these people more than I am with my actual family. Um, so I do consider them that. Well, and I think your leadership in the industry, your leadership as someone in the hospitality forefront in Minneapolis really reflects your beliefs and you kind of put your money where your mouth is. And I appreciate that about you. I'm excited about the cookbook. Will you go on tour or will you do signings or what's the big plan? Yep. Yeah, we're going to do all those things. We're going to start to announce all of it, I think, in the next week. But we're partnering up with William Sonoma. So we'll do a five city tour with them. Uh, looks like we're going to hit up New York, Chicago, Houston, L.A. and San Diego. Uh, we've got a couple of plan a couple of events planned for Minneapolis that will all come out, too, which we'll do both on the front end and the back end of the tour. Um, so yeah, we got a lot, we got a lot planned. And then in between that, we self synergy series at spoon and stable. We have Curtis stone coming in, in October. We have Marcus Samuelson coming in in December. And now we're actively planning what 2023 synergy series, uh, will look like as well. So there's kind of a lot cooking. Are there any tickets left for Curtis stone or Marcus Samuelson? So both of those will, so Curtis's is already booked, but, uh, Curtis's bar and lounge seats will open two weeks prior to when we, we have him here in October. So okay. look for that. Um, we also do a dialogue series, which we do, um, you know, we bring in the chef, Alice North moderates it from Salton Row. And those are really incredible. It's only $10. This next one we're doing at the glass house. Marcus's we're doing at four seasons, but hundred percent of the proceeds go to a charity. We take nothing. Uh, it's not about money. It's about bringing in the community, about bringing in, uh, fellow colleagues and hospitalitarians and whomever wants to join to just listen to their story. And, you know, often it's about overcoming a lot of the fears and, and failures in order to find that, that success that they're at now. Um, so we have both of those lined up and then Marcus's tickets will go on sale November 1st. All right. Well, people can look for that. I'll put links to all of that in the show notes cool. here. It's great to see you again. Congratulations on the book. And I can't wait to get it. It'll be a great success, I'm sure. Thanks for joining yeah. me today. Take care. Thanks. All right. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.